welcome to episode 109 of the 1099 for the week of September 11th, 2017. I am your host, Josiah Renaughton, and with me today is the editor slash big cheese for videogamer.com, a UK games industry 30 under 30 recipient, and the person who might actually challenge Brad Shoemaker for the best hair game in all of video games media, Alice Bell. Alice, how are you doing today? Oh, great. I'm even better. That was an amazing introduction. Thank you so much. <laughs> I felt like that I would have beautiful. been doing you a disservice if I didn't mention your hair at least once Thank in the you. intro. Thank like, you. not as the most important <laughs> thing, but at least a, a big factor. <laughs> I've had Simon Miller and Steve Burns on this podcast multiple times, who a lot of people likely associate kind of with, it sounds weird to say now, but maybe the old brand of video gamer, but you're the leading mm. editor now. Uh, the site's gone through ownership changes, content changes, and just transformed a lot in the last few years. So for people who don't know, and maybe to kind of put it in your own words, what does the modern video gamer do in terms of written content and videos? What do you kind of see as your staples wow. and what makes you unique? We're kind of, yeah, it's been a big transitional change. So we're only really kind of gearing up again now. Um, but we have always been a very personality-driven site. So one of the things that does make us unique is us. Um, so right now, uh, Colin Mahan, who is our video guy, he's the only video guy as well, I should say. We have three members of staff at Video Gamer right now. So, um, where other sites, it will be like someone has written the script for a video, someone else performs it to camera, someone else films it, and someone else edits it. Colm does all of that himself. <laughs> um, yeah, he's, he's a cool dude. So he's doing, um, uh, a lot of cool kind of, uh, new video stuff he's gearing up. He, he wants to start doing like a kind of, um, series kind of like the Miller Report that was done before, maybe a little bit. Mm. Uh, so he's working on uh, a load of cool kind of slightly different stuff, tongue-in-cheek stuff uh, on his side. Like the reviewsicles are a great, great thing for him. <laughs> um, and then uh, we're also trying to balance like uh, on the written side doing and doing some more kind of serious stuff as well, but still being a bit tongue-in-cheek and kind of just putting our personalities into the work a bit more. I think the biggest change really is that um, – before and it's the change a lot of people struggle with before the um the site was uh kind of more i, I would not say aggressive uh but like a more kind of like that kind of angry gamer kind of edge to it mm. um and we're now being a bit more because that's kind of not what i'm like and it's not what colin's like so it would be it would not be it would be kind of artificial if we carried on doing that yeah. so we're kind of now more kind of like criticism but coming from a place of love because we we love video games we want video games to be great so it's it's more kind of like a genuine kind of willing them all to be good like whenever i play a game i don't want it to be bad i want to enjoy every game i play <laughs> so it's um it's kind of more from that angle i think some of the old fans have have you know moved on because of that but we do we have a new audience we're growing a new audience now which is also cool yeah and i bet for the two of the people you work with is probably a bit jarring to have this this big of a change from what video gamer was what video gamer is and same with the audience who reads everything you guys have been doing but for you maybe it must have been the biggest whirlwind because you come in and you're <laughs> learning everything about what video gamer was you're getting involved in all these different videos like you mentioned with the miller report and all the different mm. things that they were doing at that time with all that staff and then suddenly you know that established team is gone and now it's like all right here is this product that's already kind of have a, a personality of its own either keep doing that or you know shape it how you want to shape it so i mean just kind of go back to that really quickly how difficult was it to come in 
get comfortable with how the things were and then watch everything completely change and kind of look at this this site and determine all right what is video gamer now it it was yeah <laughs> it was weird. i mean it was easy to settle in at first when i first joined um because there were such there was such a nice group of guys very welcoming and also because i am you know obnoxiously outgoing so <laughs> I deliberately just kind of got involved um, and started yelling at people uh, in in the, the the style of the office. Like everyone was just kind of uh, really friendly and like fun, and we had a great time. Um, so yeah, I kind of settled in, uh, and then it's weird. Like people think of the the previous team as like the old video gamer because I guess that was how most people knew video gamer, but it 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 had changed so much. I mean, video game has been around for kind of more than a decade. So it had always gone through staff changes, but never one as dramatic as the one that happened kind of at the end <laughs> of last year. So, um, kind of, first of all, uh, the deputy editor, uh, Steve Burns and, uh, Jim Trinker, who's the um, video production kind of guy, uh, both left to start their own company, which is now a year old. Uh, so they do video production now. Um, and yeah, I think it was their the, the year anniversary of Special Gun Productions, like last week. Oh, yeah, you're right. Um, yeah. And, uh, and then kind of soon after that, uh, the Ori twins who founded Video Gamer with uh, a guy called Adam McCann both left. Um, and then very soon after that again, uh, Dave left. I think it was, it, it kind of, was a big kind of snowball effect because once kind of a lot of key staff left, then everyone else was kind of like, well, you know, the, you know, it's time to kind of jump ship. Yeah. Like the, the, the ship is taking on water kind of. Um, so yeah, it, we went from like eight staff to two in, in the space of a few months. Um, and at which point, uh, Adam came to me and, um, offered me the job of editor which I was kind of I, I didn't know if it was kind of like a poison chalice you know um, <laughs> but I, I sort of thought like this it's an opportunity to like it's a huge challenge and it's an opportunity to prove that we can be good still um, and I could have done it without Colin Mahan, um, who was the other member of staff because uh, he was just so great and and like just mucked in and, and he was initially hired as just like a junior kind of member of staff and suddenly he was just doing all the video and just way more than than he was initially hired to do but he he'd stuck it out and he's still here to this day eight months later god bless him so it was crazy like because you, you, like i hadn't been in training to be editor or anything like I'd been working as a freelancer for a free for a few years and stuff before I started a video game, but I'd only been at video game about eight eight months to a year, I think, when it all kind of kicked off, just over a year. So yeah, I I just went from not being editor to being editor. <laughs> <laughs> was it kind of surreal as someone who was a freelancer previously? I I I was for the longest time, and you're always freelancing is great, but there's always that kind of you know gold at the end of the rainbow hope that like I'm going to get that full-time job based off of all the stuff I do on freelancing was it kind of surreal and maybe even a little bit frustrating when finally you do get the full-time job and then you watch these people all leaving around you and you're like you've got to be kidding me 
Yeah, I mean, it was to start with because, uh, like, just before I became a full-time member of staff, like, my husband was like, um, where would you like to work if you got a job, you know, full-time in the industry? And I said, I want to work in video game. I look at this place. It's really cool, the stuff they're doing. Um, and then, like, a month or something later, the job that I got came up. Uh, so it was, you know, it seemed fated. And then I turned up and kind of by the end of my first year, everyone had started leaving. Um, so it was weird, but then it's like, I, it's not like I don't still see those guys and get like me and Jim Trinker are really good friends. Like he, he reads like work. If I want, if I get suddenly anxious and want another pair of eyes on it, he'll go over work with me and stuff. And like, Simon Miller, me and Miller are really good friends. I'm seeing him like later this week, hopefully. So I still talk to and and see these guys. So yeah, they're not like out of my life, which is nice. And Burns just, Burns was like the closest to a mentor I've ever had, but like a, a kind of affected as disinterested one. Like the, the <laughs> getting praise from Steve Burns is great because he he delivers it so rare. Like the best part of my day would be if I wrote something and Burns edited it, and then he just shouted from the back of the room, "Good words, Bell." Like, Great. <laughs> it's every time he retweets something of mine, I think I have a similar reaction of like, I feel like I did really good if Steve Burns is like giving props in some weird way. Like every time, also when I was writing yeah. like Gamespot reviews, and he would like tweet it out, I'm like, man, I don't know why I'm trying to seek out this person's approval <laughs> over Twitter, but you know, it's sort of a mentor thing. Uh, you talked earlier about how video gamer is kind of the personalities represent what it is at the time. It's similar to a giant bomb where people associate mm. the names with the site instead of just the content. So I talk about Patreon often and video gamers had a su- successful Patreon for quite some time, but how yeah. did you handle the shift of staff and focus with the people who support um, you on Patreon? I think we were quite, I mean, it, the Patreon went through a number of, of changes while they were like figuring everything out towards the end of the year where they put like loads of stuff in the tiers. And then we like, when we kind of took over, we, we were kind of, I think I feel like we were up front and said like, look, this has happened. Everyone's up. We won't be able to provide as much, but, um, you know, the, it, you know, the, the money will come out on this day. If you want to change your pledge or whatever, we'll understand. Um, and it did understandably, because as you say, people, people think of the names when they think of the site, right? So when, mm-hmm. when all these names left that people were familiar with, we did, um, see like a drop in the Patreon, but it's, it's climbed again because, uh, you know, we have like a, a, a group of people that are like very loyal kind of fans who would support us no matter what. And that's been they've been so lovely and supportive and everyone that stuck by us it just meant a lot to us but again like we've kind of been building our own like an audience of new fans as well and and so that's kind of been climbing as well i just i think we were just kind of as open as we could be um i mean there was a weird that like people always want to know why everyone left because it's because you know because they they take it kind of personally but it's you know we we can't talk about that because everyone has their own reasons it would be inappropriate for us to say exactly why everyone left Mm -hmm. um so but like yeah i think just being as open as we could people appreciated that and i mean our goal eventually is to to not have a patreon we've 
like to be able to give everyone everything for free. So yeah. we're working towards that. Speaking of things you're working toward and speaking of goals, I mean, right now, like you mentioned, you have three staff who are doing all the content for a major site and a major YouTube channel. And as someone who I was editor-in-chief for like a smaller independent site back in the day, I know the work that goes into that to not only kind of editing things and helping manage the content, but writing it yourself. So simply put, how the hell do you guys do it? Because you wrote a lost legacy review and then you produced a video review and then you wrote a feature on it and then you did a podcast about it. And that's you who's the leading editor who's also, of course, doing all these other things surrounding this. So how difficult is it to pump out so much content while also running the site? And what's your kind of eventual goal for staff? It, I mean, it is difficult. I mean, like, because as I said, we didn't really get any training on how to do it. So we were just kind of like, uh, uh, like <laughs> we, we just kind of would sink or swim. Um, it's mainly, uh, Colin, especially with the video, he has like a spreadsheet going months into the future. Like he's planned out loads of stuff. Um, he'll record a load of stuff. Um, and, and kind of get that ready kind of well in advance. Uh, with written stuff, we, and we've planned out like we know who's going to be reviewing every game for the next couple of months as well. So we try and like plan ahead as much as possible. Um, and then with written stuff and features, I tend to like, we plan to have, we, we plan our weeks more in more detail, like a couple of weeks in advance. So we know like this is going to go up on this day and kind of thing. Uh, but with like, especially features, I kind of tend to, to at the start of the week look and, and see what's happening and then try and get stuff written for a couple of weeks in advance or like I, I mean I don't know how I made it as a freelancer because I, I would like I would pitch <laughs> stuff and then like when I write stuff it, it ends up as as being something completely different yeah so it, like if if I pitched stuff that I've written now I'd be like okay so I know I said I was going to write like 800 words on a single feature of Hellblade, but I've done like 1,500 words on games <laughs> and how they lie. So is that still cool? <laughs> and as star far as staff goals go, it's weird because we're, st we're not producing a lot less than we were before. We're producing less video because it's just harder. Like there's, there's less of us to be in videos and to be like a cameraman. Um, but, there's with it's not much less than it was yeah. before it's it is less but it's not way less so i think and it wasn't because the guys all the guys before didn't work hard or anything i think it was all because everyone was making stuff so then we had to spread it out anyway and kind of do that kind of well i put up a feature now so we can't put this up yet because it will tread on that kind of thing um so right now, I think we, we're okay as we are for a little bit. And then maybe in a year or so, we're going to look at hiring someone else. I don't think we have any kind of like, we want this many people exactly. It's more looking at what we want to do and what, like, what kind of stuff we need to achieve that. Um, but right now we're, we're kind of doing as, as we do. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny you mentioned kind of the difference between freelance and full-time and that's one of the key things when you talk about you're pitching an idea with a freelance thing and the editor expects that idea and of course you can make variations and you go back and forth on the idea but when you have control over a site like you do with video gamer i've been in a similar situation in the past you can kind of just let that go you could be like like you said like i think that i'm going to write about uh 
cool ideas for battlegrounds strategies and then by the end of it you're talking about is it morally okay to throw 100 people on an island and murder them and you're like that's not at all my initial idea but here i am and that's what this became and there's value to that i think you can let ideas grow and throw out like maybe your initial idea because similar to a feature itself the more you edit the better it gets you're kind of you know honing in on the actual idea you want to go with and i think that's maybe a really cool thing about having control of a site like you do and uh another part about when you do have this leading editor role is knowing what's worth covering especially because you only have three people you can't you cannot cover everything not even a GameSpot or an ign can cover every new indie game every new early access game that comes out especially since there's like 30 every goddamn day at this point so for you how do you determine what is worth covering because you do have a new owner and Mm. that means that there's maybe i don't know if he sets out like here's my traffic expectations here's this and that but when it comes to news reviews or features what's the process of understanding what people want to read and balancing that with what you're personally interested in writing about it is a balance i mean we when we first started doing it we were just we kind of were breaking ourselves trying to cover literally everything and it there were definitely some points like in, in the first month or so where, you know, I, I would have to apologize to a PR because I'd say, yeah, I'll totally like look at this game and then just would have a COVID then didn't have time <laughs> to do it. And I just yeah. uh, had to frustrate myself because I kind of didn't make up a promise to them. But now I think, uh, we, we try and cover like the biggest stuff. Um, we, with indie stuff, we kind of, um, that's where more we can cover stuff that we really like and we're really interested in. Um, because we did try and do like more regular indie coverage, uh, to start with. And it's what well, the way we were doing it, like wasn't really like, uh, working for us. So we're kind of going to look at maybe a different way of doing that. Um, but we're, we're now, we're kind of like at this point we're, we've accepted that like we, we can review a game and not get that review up for the embargo like when everyone else does that it will be fine if that (laughs) doesn't happen (laughs) um and as well like with features and stuff we're trying to or at least i try to because our boss sits in the room with us he's a really cool dude his name's dan webb he owns uh and runs xbox achievements and playstation trophies as well Mm -hmm. um and uh like what we look at is um uh like the seo search engine optimization for google and stuff you can look at like games that people are still talking about and searching now and uh try and like see if there's any interesting stuff you can write because like people like um grand theft auto for example people are massively interested in in gta 5 still uh but fewer sites are writing about it because it's older now but if you can write like an interesting feature on gta then you'll get a lot of interest because you're the only one writing about it so and i think it's it's valuable to do that as well because when you're looking at older games you can have more kind of interesting coverage you can have more interesting thoughts and kind of criticism of it than doing the kind of race to be first with um covering immediate stuff so reviews we we do like the big stuff we do more immediate stuff and then with features i think we're doing a mix of like relevant stuff and then trying to do some like longer look back kind of pieces as well. Um, yeah. So like, yeah, one of the first ones we did, um, Dan did one for us. It was on the Twitch, um, like GTA uh, RPG communities, which is really funny. 
<laughs> it's like it's like there are people who they have like RPG servers where they're like everyone or they're all these Twitch streamers that just are in character and play different characters in this whole massive kind of meta game in GTA. Oh it's really God. cool. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I've never even heard of that before. And like I I would assume it's probably easy to obsess over seo and obsess over traffic figures especially again mm. when you're in a leading editor role it's hard not to you everything kind of goes through that lens of will this work with this audience will this work with that audience but i think mm. you made a really interesting point where you think about gta which still has like a high seo still has value to people but not all the big sites are covering it because it's not new it's not uh, there's not a new gta coming out at the end of this year or anything like that but mm. gta online is still so massively popular so for you, does it make more sense to cover something like that that's still popular but not getting as much coverage compared to Battlegrounds, which every single day there's a new big site saying like 15 tips for Battlegrounds or how to achieve mm. your chicken dinner? Like, Does it actually make more sense when you're not in IGN and GameSpot to look at what's still popular but not being covered as much? Yeah, I think for us it does, definitely. It's going to be different for, for different sites and stuff. I mean, and, and yeah, we do like there are some changes we've made because of SEO, but at the same time I, I think it is kind of part witchcraft to get seo working properly <laughs> like there'll be so many times where i'll do like a throw up a news piece and thought i've crafted a really good seo headline and then the the piece i do that's like i don't know whatever does really good numbers so it's it's yeah it's kind of making sure like yeah we're, we're writing about stuff that we think is interesting really rather than that we think google might think is interesting because because we're independent we can kind of there's no one really that we have to do like a, a presentation to if something does bad numbers we're not we don't have to like justify why um we can just try stuff out and see if it works and you know if no one else thinks it's interesting fine but we, <laughs> we did and we tried it. it because you mentioned you have your boss in the room it, does he have a background with seo and this this kind of stuff because like you said you're not if, it's, if a random news post only gets a few hits compared to something else, like you, you're not going to immediately be like, well, you're fired. You didn't hit these targets. Like You didn't hit these charts. You're, suddenly you're not going to be able to write for us anymore. But are there a lot of conversations with him, and does he have that background experience to know? Like, Did he buy this knowing, like, here's my experience with SEO. Here's how I know this is going to grow? He has been in the industry for kind of over a decade now as well, and like, um, so he has experience in, in practically like putting that stuff to work. He also has an SEO guy, like <laughs> a oh, wow. guy that will like, yeah, he'll come in and like open his trench coat and be like, you want any SEO? Like, <laughs> um, so he can like look at what we're doing that isn't, isn't working and stuff and maybe look at ways we can change it and like, um, stuff we can put in the, the code and like with, with the new website we have, uh, the new, um, because we got a new, we basically we moved platform at the end of last year before everyone left as well, um, and it doesn't have tagging, uh, whereas the old platform did and stuff like that. It's all these little things and like getting backlinks and things and uh, like Video Gamer for some reason is one of the uh, websites that Google will, uh, not Google, the Wiki Wikipedia will uh, use will cite. It's one of the approved oh, yep. Wikipedia sources. <laughs> we don't know why, but it is. Uh, so that's really good for us. Um, uh, but his, his experience as well is, is like really invaluable in like, um, uh, just like, um, how, how everything works in terms of like talking to PRs and devs and like, um, uh, he wants to like to put forums on the website as well. So he's, he's, 
like having him around is really good and he is he he's encouraging us to try different things like he'll we'll have discussions with him and he'll ask like oh what are you guys looking at this week and stuff and he he's happy for us to kind of write what we want and then just to see how it goes um so there's no like as long as we're working hard and the numbers are generally trending up he's happy so So if there are some dips along the way that's okay (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you did mention earlier that you still have some people from the old video gamer staff look at some of your work every once in a while maybe give it like a small edit before it goes live Mm -hmm. and i remember when i used to write reviews I I would start off kind of getting a lot of similar edits from GameSpot or an IGN and then kind of self-editing from there, understanding, okay, I always do this stupid thing where I put that in my like my writing way too much or I use the word title when IGN, if you use the word title at all instead of like game, they'll freak out on you. So certain things you start remembering, you self-correct, you get better at it and you're mm. able to write more freely and not think about that stuff. But for you right now, because you have three people, I'm guessing it's harder to kind of justify these long editing processes because everyone's always doing something. You've got so much going on. So because of the smaller yeah. staff, are you more focused on self-editing everything and using that past experience to maybe assure the quality that you feel should be your standard? Or is there still a pretty heavy staff editing process? There's still, I mean, the, it will occasionally happen where like uh, if maybe someone was away at an event or someone was on holiday where um like a feature didn't get to go through the full editing process but we will always have at least one other person go through and edit your work like myself included because i don't think anyone is above needing an edit no um but you do notice yeah you do notice stuff you do like i tend to um I'm not very confident in my reviews sometimes, so sometimes I'll try and qualify everything and be like, you might maybe think this and instead of just instead of just saying, like, this is a thing that happens in the game and you should take it as read. This is my opinion. Um, but we all, it's it's been really cool. To, like, we've all been developing different styles. Um, so, like, uh, when Colin writes, he's very present in in the game he's talking about like he'll talk about it in the present tense as if you and him were you and he were standing in the game looking around at it kind of thing um uh whereas i use long comparative metaphors about like soup or it's food a lot of the time it's food actually i've just realized (laughs) um so there there's a level of self-editing but there is still quite a heavy self-edit process when you were a freelancing, did you ever have a specific editor that really stuck out that maybe changed the way you looked at writing games criticism or just writing in general? Do you kind of have one person you can point back to and be like, I was an okay writer and suddenly they made me a pretty okay writer? Like, is that kind of turning point? I mean, there have been a couple. Like, when I first started, so I got um, uh, work experience at Official Xbox Magazine when I was about 20, 19 or 20. And then they got me back in to do some work in house. And, uh, I remember John Hicks, who was the, John T. Hicks, who was the editor at the time. Like, uh, I'd, I'd written, like, an article to go in the magazine and he just took me aside and, like, had a printout of it and spent, like, 20 minutes going through it with me. Being oh, like, God. this is, this is wrong. This is right. Um, <laughs> which was scary, but just so helpful because he was like, like, I don't 
want to not like getting an article from you whenever you turn it in. So this yeah. is stuff that you need to do. And then uh, Burns, Steve Burns as well, was just in the short time that I worked with him, was so helpful in um, like helping me structure pieces and, and like showing me like you need to put like a point in here basically like what is the argument you need or like you need to put more of this topic in or less of that topic um so he he was great for all that he pretended to be disinterested he was great <laughs> yeah it not for this to be the steve burns appreciation hour because the last thing i want to do is stroke his ego any more than i already have in the past <laughs> but uh, i did write a, a video game feature way back when um and i do remember his edits being helpful in a way that in a, in a different way than most editors, because very often, you know, they're giving you the actual grammar things or sometimes, like you said, like uh, try to get a point here. But he was very structure oriented where it's like a, you have kernels throughout this. Like, let's change where this goes. Let's change where that goes. I, it was a, a long feature I wrote about the um, Just Cause 2 mod community and how they right. eventually kind of banded together and worked with the developer. And I remember him just being like, you need this here and this here and that there and just looking at it and be like, wow never thought about it this way and that's some of the most mm. valuable stuff is the people who shift your mindset to a certain extent and like you said the idea of actually i remember kevin van Ord from GameSpot like returning a review to me once and being like okay like a lot of this sounds great but i have no idea what this game plays like and that's always <laughs> been a funny review thing where you go with all this flowery language and talking about the themes and stuff and you're like you didn't describe i don't even know if this is a shooter i don't know if you can jump in this game like i don't <laughs> is this a puzzle game i don't know so that's the kind of thing that you only get from having multiple different editors like it, mm. it takes time to kind of build all that and find like okay here's my style and i can actually talk about a game in this interesting way and also mm. make sure that people know what the hell it is uh without a video in the background uh, did you ever have to write for free and self-edit before you ever got paid or freelance or anything like that and i know this is like a touchy subject for a lot of people because a lot of people are staunchly never write for free some people say you need it for the experience did you ever mm. have to write for free before you were getting paid as a freelancer uh i didn't have to i did um for a little bit at a uh, ggs gamer um, mm -hmm. which is a UK kind of independent and it's no, like nobody there gets paid um, kind of site, which was helpful. Um, and it was just to kind of keep, uh, kind of keep me with my toes kind of dipped in that world. Cause for a while I, I um, was out of the game uh, as I got sick, I had to have surgery and stuff. So I was kind of not like doing any, any written stuff. So I, like while, I was out of freelancing. I was just kind of there, and and that was cool. I mean, it's I know it, it is a touchy subject. I tend to think like, if you're working somewhere where other people are getting paid, and your work is good enough to get paid, then you should make them pay you. Yes. Um, but like I, 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 it's it like if no one at the site is is making any money, it's kind of a passion thing that you, you and your mates are doing and stuff like, or you're doing a couple of weeks of work experience and stuff i i get that but it's like the the six month long internships where you're getting paid nothing by like you know a big magazine or or website i tend to be less enthusiastic about it's definitely a weird thing like it's still still something i go back and forth on because like you said when other people are getting paid and you're doing work that you feel is of similar value or even if, even if you're still slightly less value I f there should be some sort of monetary mm. compensation for that uh, people 
it's we're, we're still in this kind of era where creative work is so often because people can read anything online for free the actual mm. payment for the people who write that stuff is lower or sometimes non-existent but mm. it is weird when you're when you're coming up because i'm guessing you and i were doing this at a similar age when this is what we always want to do so when you're 16 17 18 or even 19 you're, you're writing and all you want to do is just get your stuff out there you want to keep building yeah. your portfolio building your portfolio and at that time when i was 17 and i was writing for sites i was getting published but I don't know if that writing was good enough to be paid and I'm just being honest with myself where like you look at that stuff and you're like this, you know, in retrospect, this is trash. Uh, so maybe I don't deserve, deserve is a weird word. Maybe this wasn't up to the level that you should be getting paid when you're, you know, 22, 23, 24 and more experienced. But it's definitely weird where there's sites that the worst ones I think are the ones where it's like, all right, we're going to hire you and we're going to expect a lot of content from you with the hope that in the future, if we do well and get traffic, then we can pay you. And then that's mm -hmm. the stuff where it gets a little, it gets a little seedy where you're like, I, I don't like the, the, I'm getting paid on promise that I'm getting paid in that way. But mm. in the end, I still think if it wasn't for the free opportunities I had, I don't think I would have ever gotten paid in the future. Yeah. That's the thing. There are a, a bunch of people uh, like Brett Phipps who worked at um, video game that did uh, an unpaid internship, uh, which, is how he kind of got his foot in the door as well. So it's, you know, it, it, a lot of people did kind of meet the right people through that. Um, so you can kind of see where they're coming from. Like, you know, they wouldn't be in this, this business without those opportunities. But yeah, I'm, it's, it's a weird one. I'm, I'm not massively keen on it, but I understand why people end up doing it. But like you say, like, it, it's, yeah, the kind of creative, things tend to be like i um uh spoke to the an author his name's rusty young um and he oh, what a was, great name i know right um he wrote a book called marching powder which is about it's like the true story of a guy that got arrested for trafficking cocaine and stuff uh and he was the um the he did he was part of a documentary that uh ubisoft did for wildlands um mm. But it kind of ended up being better than the game, I think. Um, but he said to me that, like, people think writing is mostly talent, but it's, it's a skill. Like, like anything yeah. else, you kind of have to practice and you have to know how to use the different kind of tools that are a part of it. So I think it's, yeah, people underestimate how much kind of work goes into, to, being a good writer and tr like trying to be a good writer anyway oh yeah it's it's so much i mean it goes back to like having those multiple editors like sit down with you sometimes and go through certain things that even when you think you're good suddenly you need to morph the style of writing you're doing for the certain site you're writing it for and like yeah it's it, it's it's a longer process that maybe does take some talent but i've never seen myself as like i am blessed with the ability to write like no <laughs> I, I think it was me like doing like banging my head against the wall and doing a lot of dumb shit until finally I found like a style that works. I think a lot of writers might say that. Well, every single writer has imposter syndrome, so I don't think any writer's ever going to really say they're talented unless they're like oh yeah, superly like into their own ego or anything like that. But yeah, no, I totally agree. I think the idea of it being a talent somehow devalues it compared to hey, I had to work really hard to get where I am. Uh and it's it's funny, every time I talk to people who are in UK games media, I feel like they're in their own bubble, and then, like, the US press is in its own bubble, which I always think is funny, because 
the internet's pretty global. I don't know if people know this. Like yeah. everyone can intermingle. Like you're not, you know, somehow being separated in these different groups. And like I, I remember talking to Simon Miller about this because he was still freelancing a bit. This is before he kind of went full time with his Patreon. Yeah. And I would always ask him, like, did you feel like you had to pitch to UK sites for your features when you're freelancing, or did you like ever think you could spread out? And he said, like, you know, it's weird. I always focus on the UK sites and I don't have a good reason for that. Like, I know this is a global industry where why can't I write for, you know, Polygon or the, the US GameSpot or the uh, US IGN? And like, why can't I pitch to those editors? So when you were freelancing, uh, did you ever feel like you kind of had to stay within the UK games media bubble? Did you feel like there was almost a requirement like, well, I live here, so this is who I should write for? I guess maybe it is that because like, like Miller said, like, I never even thought about pitching to american outlets i just it just never occurred to me and maybe it's because you're all asleep when we're getting up but sure. like it never even yet yeah, never occurred i do remember like i think they they have always felt a little bit separate it's only a few years ago i think we are all kind of intermingling a bit more now but, like i remember when polygon was first set up and um there are a few uk games writers who were like kind of like what what is this what is going on because um i think they did like a feature where um uh like uh, some american uh journal showed off kind of like this is you know my game's den like this is where i do my writing and stuff and we're all i remember matt lee's kind of being like yeah dog this is where i keep my heinz beans like because <laughs> we are i think in the uk we we do like I, I don't know it just feels kind of separate and we we've like the UK game scene in and of itself is weirdly like we all love each other and we're really supportive but also we tear each other to shreds on a regular yep. basis and have loads of drama and stuff uh, and it I, yeah we just seem to operate separately and I don't know why but we, I think there are more instances now of us kind of like kind of talking to each other and like yeah intermingling a bit more um but i don't know why it just does feel a bit different i guess i don't know it always has to me and i've never been able to put my finger on it of all the people i've talked to every time their answer is like you know i've never really thought about that but yes like it does feel separated in some way do you mm. think twitter has played a big role in maybe the U.S. Games Press and the U.K. Games Press talking and knowing each other because I know that's how I my initial like feature on Video Gamer started from like me and uh, Burns talking back and forth on Twitter, then suddenly selling a feature to him, and I, that's how I got to know Miller and a lot of the people over there. So do you think maybe just Twitter kind of brought people together? Like, oh hey, you do exist. Yeah, I think that probably helped a lot because I remember like that when Polygon started. I remember like that being in kind of the early days of Twitter, and so. I think yeah, as social media stuff has has exploded, like so many people just do business over Twitter now. <laughs> like so I get weird. people like DMing me about their games, and like you'll see freelancers like adding editors, being like, "Hey, who do I email with this pitch and stuff?" Um, so it's it's yeah, I think that's probably helped a lot. I just remember like. Like, when Polygon started, like, Rich Stanton, who's now uh, editing Kotaku UK, getting drunk and, like, challenging the um, the staff at Polygon to, like, a write-off. Like, <laughs> he was like, I'll write any of you under the table. <laughs> or something, like, years ago. Yeah, maybe it's not that they don't 
the UK Games Press and the uh, US don't talk. They're just like angry at each other, <laughs> just <laughs> challenging them that uh, over like writing competitions. See, actually, I would love that. I want Iron Chef, but like with people writing <laughs> about video games. That's really I wanted that dude to like reveal the secret ingredient which is like you can't use uh mixed bag in any of your writing and then boom here's how this works <laughs> i'm actually going to start this i'm going to cut this part out of the podcast oh this is my new patreon uh you should 100 percent do this people get well involved they'd love it that would be I so much fun I, I need to find like a cameraman and like a neutral battleground for where this is <laughs> happening like i don't really know how we're going to do this but i'll work out the logistics later if you want to invest in this i'll let you know Ooh. how uh where to send the check um so this is like a way loaded question but i'm gonna ask it anyway so what do you feel modern games criticism gets right because you do write a lot of reviews right now and mm. reviews is one of the main things i've always covered on this podcast a lot of different people because uh i've talked to you know jeff kersman about the, the days where in GameSpot it was a math equation all you know all games criticism was okay it, it looks good it plays good uh here's reviewers tilt boom math equation spreadsheet here's the score that it has to be and now we've at least reached this point with you know waypoint with uh you can like throw polygon in here too where we're looking at games differently there's there's a more critical eye to things where it's not an hdtv it's a quote-unquote work of art so in your mind, with your writing and the writing you read right now all over the internet, what do you feel like games criticism gets right? And maybe even more importantly, what are we lacking? Where can we still see these improvements that maybe movie reviews, uh, book reviews, music reviews have been doing for a long time, but because we're still still, still so young, we haven't really reached that point yet? Mm. It is a difficult question. I think so sc scoring is, is one thing that I've always been in two minds about. Because it has, it, as you say, it's just kind of applying a kind of mathematical thing to to something that maybe isn't that easy to to quantify. I think yeah. definitely, like we 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 are now trying, we're making a concerted effort to open up the lower end of the uh, the scores as well. Like, uh, like actually, like if a game is is average, then it gets a five, not a seven. Um, yep. Uh, and I think maybe reviewers forget sometimes that, like, you you know, we get sent the games to play. We don't have to buy all the games. Um, so when we are recommending or not recommending something, that can have weight on, you know, what someone chooses to spend their money on. Um, so certainly, like, just, like, keeping in mind that consumers do still have to to pay for it all. Yeah. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I am liking the move towards, I guess, thinking of games as quote unquote art, but like thinking of them not just mechanically, but like how, I guess how they make you feel and how, how they, they convey the things they do and stuff, because I, that is important. And it's maybe because, yeah, we are young and because, we are um, stuck on the idea of like, how does it look? How many FPSs does it have? That um, people are kind of resistant to that. But like the benefit, I think, of us being small and and like me doing most of the reviews with you know Colin doing some is that if you know me, you will know whether or not you like my opinions and you share yes. my opinions. So if I like something, 
you can tell whether or not you will like it based on what you think of me. So one of the things I really liked about something like Uncharted 4, for example, is that it told its story in a more kind of, I guess, cinematic, filmic way. So the the story beats were um, conveyed uh, with like the techniques you'll see in films, like this scene came here, this scene came, you know. Um, so I think I, I think the the way we're paying more attention to that now is is more interesting to me and more yeah. valuable to me. Um, even with st- like shooters and stuff, like they're still they're making choices in the in the way they they convey things. And I I personally like the move towards that, but then I'm an English lit student. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I do think it's much more interesting. I enjoy it. And it's funny, you were talking about the idea of moving the review scores. And that's such a... Everyone has an opinion about review scores. There's half people say we don't need them. There's half people say we do need them. And I'm I'm kind of good either way. I, I, I know mm. if I am not... There are busy people out there who don't want to read an entire review. They want to scroll down to the bottom. If it gets an 8, they're like, cool, I just wanted yeah. to reassure myself this wasn't trash. And then they'll go and buy it. And I think there is value to that. You don't have to be one of those holier than thou like no 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 i'm gonna make you read my whole opinion motherfucker like i I wrote this you're gonna read it you have to do this like i don't think we need that but also it's funny with the movement of review scores uh, now that i've gone from games media to game development it's you understand the importance of metacritic and you understand how difficult if one site changes the goalpost and says okay now a five is average even though it's kind of been established that a seven is Metacritic doesn't recognize that. So mm. if you say this is, and not that ever, I don't think a reviewer should think about this, but from the other side, it's funny because if someone gives it a five and says like, no, I think the game's pretty average. It's not bad at all. There's nothing broken about it. Most people now see a five and they say, oh no, that game is awful. I'm never going to buy it. So it's funny as we're trying to move toward maybe normalizing these scores a bit and not making a seven the average, uh, unless the entire industry moves as a whole, it really harms the perception of what a game is and like that's something Mm. i'm still trying to balance in my head having jumped back and forth between media and development of like man scores are weird and maybe the only reason i would want to get away from them is the importance placed on them where investors are looking at companies based on metacritic uh you know your next project is being funded only if you hit that something on a metacritic right now and the fact that if you are in like the low 70s as a triple a game on metacritic like you are seen as this failure which is so bizarre because i've given so many games i really enjoy and think are amazing a seven or an eight because that's fine with me like there's certain like tiers in that way so the scores are one of the weirdest parts that i still can't fully put my finger on but thankfully i do think we are we're looking at games in a way again that like you said we are expecting more from stories we're expecting more from the cinematic angle of it very often and hopefully that ups the bar for what games can be you're able to see uh shooters like before like you said with shooters we just always assume oh it's like a six hour campaign and multiplayer blah eight out of ten but look at titanfall 2 last year which was one of the tightest most interesting campaigns we've seen a shooter in years and doom which these shooters are even are stepping their game up and i'm not saying look at us amazing game reviewers who are holding people to a higher standard and we're making the games better because again that would be an ego stroke (laughs) that i will not be able to reach but it is nice to see that we are 
feeling like we're holding certain campaigns and certain games up to a higher standard, and maybe that is going to improve the industry as a whole. I, I think everyone is now kind of holding games to a higher standard. Like, everyone involved in making them, everyone's being, you know, everyone's kind of willing to try different things, especially in, like, the indie scene. You're seeing so many interesting kickstarts and stuff happening now. I got an email from uh, a guy who was making a game in Siberia, like a Siberian team. He was like, I hope this email reaches you because our internet doesn't always work. (laughs) (laughs) But that, yeah, like scores have always been a weird one for me because like me and and Colin have had discussions about it because for a while Video Game had changed um, its review so that it was just kind of a box out, like the quote that you would get on Metacritic was the review and then it had a score. And then you could write features if you wanted to talk more about a certain aspect of it. We've gone back to long form reviews now, but we've kept the box out with the score because then you're kind of the best of both worlds, I guess. But it is, it's the fact that scores are so loaded that makes me a bit uncomfortable. Yeah. About them. Just like I, I spoke to someone who's not even in the industry and he was like, I, I, like a game I really liked got a seven and I was angry about it. And I, I was kind of like, but why? <laughs> <laughs> So we did actually, like, Colin and I are talking about, because Colin's from Cork, he's Irish, and we've discussed having, like, a, like how Eurogamer has a kind of uh, recommended or essential. We're going to have a new score system that is based on the way Colin describes games. So it goes from, like, poor enough, and then grand, and then class, <laughs> and then fucking unreal <laughs> is the top score. Please, is that just 10? Is, is it fucking unreal only with, like, a pretty much a perfect game? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's important. Yeah, you have yeah. to have those aspirations. <laughs> I, I think GameSpot's 10 for the longest time was like, oh, it was like, it, it was a word that like, it was so silly. It was like beyond the word perfection where you're like, man, mm-hmm. no game is ever going, you need to be like this amazing, like Jesus game in order to hit this score. <laughs> uh, I do think those descriptors actually do help so people understand like, hey, my five is different than this five or this seven is different yeah. than that seven. Like we're still in this weird zone where I don't, reviews are weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's still it's still super weird when you have to think about Metacritic when you're you know when you can get roasted on Twitter when suddenly mm. the embargo lifts and you gave something an eight or a nine and everyone else is like nope this is a five and then suddenly you're wrong and there's still yeah. that anger like you mentioned where if someone was excited for something or someone liked something if someone else said it's terrible for some reason you get on this defensive end of it where mm. you're like no 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 you're wrong my opinion is the right one and I still get emails from people saying you know, you were objectively wrong about this game. You reviewed it in 2015. Like, first off, I don't even, I couldn't even tell you I reviewed, like, I, I do not remember even playing that video game. And also, like, there's not, there's no universal truth about games. Like, there's mm. no perfect answer. Other than the fact that Overwatch is the game of the year last year, which is objective truth. Other than that, like, everything else is subjective. <laughs> From then on, everything else is up in the air. Uh I don't know how much you could talk about, but Alice, what's coming to Video Gamer in the near future that you're excited about that you can kind of keep people in on, especially as we're approaching, holy shit, the end of the year. I can't believe 2017 is almost done. Uh, And where can people find you on social media? Uh, So I am at BabyGotBell on Twitter and yeah, VideoGamer.com. We are VideoGamer TV on YouTube. We're actually recording something for like a video series uh, recording this week, which has more of a tabletop flavor. Whoa. Uh, and involves dogs. 
but I'm not going to say any more than that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then also, uh, look out in the future. Colin Mahern is desperate to get all of us to sing in a series. So that will be fun for me. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, then everyone can definitely look forward to your, your review karaoke, which might be the, the evolution of re- yeah. musicals. Like, I feel like oh you just my need God, to... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this needs to be like you have to be like drinking because like you can't do karaoke unless you're drinking, and then you talk about your feelings about a certain game topic. Yeah, yeah, we do. We drink on our streams now. We do our live shows every Friday, uh, mm. and when we do them in the evenings, we have a few cans to start the weekend. <laughs> I think that's the best way to handle it. I feel like that's yeah. where all games media should eventually move towards. Is just like let me drunk review something yeah like let this me... is what i do when you're not looking anyway <laughs> yeah like let's just be more transparent about all this let's just i'm already like streaming all the gameplay let me just you know turn the camera around and see what i'm drinking we're all uh, alcoholics we're all a... just have ish we're all have imposter syndrome but thank you for inviting me to this by the way i'm always when people ask me on podcasts and stuff i'm like yes i would love to but are you sure you have the right person <laughs> that goes back to the imposter syndrome no people do that all the time we're like are you sure i'm not that interesting i'm like i promise you're interesting you're fine. <laughs> no but thanks so much for coming on i really do appreciate it I-, I do remember seeing when you first came on video gamer and being like you were the perfect fit for that group and it's been cool oh. to see you transition to this new role where you're determining what video gamer is now and I- i'm happy it's going so well i'm happy uh, you do have the new ownership and you, I have no idea how you produce all the content you do. I really don't. Like I looked at it the other day and I'm like, how the hell are you doing this? Your name's on everything. Um, but it's cool to see. And I uh, do hope that it keeps growing and you get some more staff members so you don't have to write all everything. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I, I don't want any more staff. I want I just want my name everywhere. On everything. <laughs> that's the real like play that you have on this. Like, no, if my name's on everything, then the site's the site's, it's Alice Bell's videogamer.com yeah. Alice Bell is video gamer <laughs> eventually you're Sid Meier like you just have yeah. your name in front of everything which again maybe is the long play so uh, <laughs> thank you again I, now that you're a celebrity because you own video gamer you know appreciate you coming on and uh, thank you everyone for listening hopefully tune back in for the next episode of the 1099 <laughs>